expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's another big one, I promise you that. Episode 65 of Down and Nerdy, where we believe that America's favorite favorite pastime comes in a long box. Yeah, yeah, it's not baseball, it's not football, it's comic book reading, because hey, you got Captain America, you got Wonder Woman, the Stars and Stripes, what the hell, you know, America's favorite pastime. Oh, beautiful horse space. Okay, I won't do that. I'm James with him alongside. <laughs> the Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. How's not everybody the, doing today? Not even the 4th of July yet, and we're already feeling very patriotic. What is that, but we're also very busy as well. Like, I'm not going to lie, I've never been this busy in my life, because we have E3 coming up, we have San Diego Comic Con coming up, we got a bunch of trailers and movies are coming out because you know it is the summer so it's mm-hmm. just you know balls to the wall it's ready to go and get all this shit done pretty much and then of course when like september rolls around end of august we're gonna be so dead <laughs> pretty much and i mean that you never know where we're gonna be too we've got appearances that we're gonna have coming up can't really talk about that right now it's a little hush hush but we've got yeah. stuff in the works for you and we've had a lot of great interviews we had fabian nicieza on last week yeah man i mean and a lot of people love the interview with him because a lot of people are like you know a they're like how the hell did you get him i'm just like we met him at tyler con and mm-hmm. he was really nice and we just talked to him and exchanged information <laughs> you know and then uh you know but it was fun like, i loved having guests on who are brutally honest as fabian was last week you know and yeah, asking about the death of Deadpool and just, you know, his 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 concept version of what an indie really is mm-hmm. and how it's much different than ours. Uh, of course, if you want to find out what, you know, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back to episode 64 and listen to it. It's a really, really good interview. And he gives a lot of great insight as well. Yeah, it's funny because it, I almost sense a theme here that it seems like every time somebody comes on our show, they're very candid and they're very honest. And, and I don't know if they just feel like this is a safe space for them to be able to do that (laughs) or what. But I really appreciate that, you know, the guests that we have had, and a lot of people have said that about our past guests as well, that, you know, they're very candid and they just open up and say exactly what they want to say. Well, I think that that's the beauty of podcasting in general is because when you podcast, we can say what we want, we can do what we want without any really repercussions. So when you have guests like Fabian or Peter Shinkoda, you know, or even our guest this week, Amy Darkstar, you know, you can come on. And pretty much be yourself, say what you want without, you know, having to worry about OKs, you know, kind of swear on here and everything else. It's like, no, just go on. Let's have a conversation. That's what a lot of people like about our interviews is that it sounds like people have told us, they're like, you know, you guys, when you talk like Shinkoda or whomever, you know, you guys sound like as if you've been knowing each other for like years. And it's like, we just met for like couple of days like today we just met you know and it was just that thing it was just that, that connectivity we have with our guests which is really really great yeah i totally agree and like you said we're gonna have abby darkstar on this week if you're not familiar with abby darkstar i don't know how that's possible but she's an extremely well-known cosplayer plus she's got a new gig in the video game realm that we can't wait to talk to her about especially with e3 coming up plus you know we're always going to have a ton of nerd news we've got some stuff that we're reading i'm going to be tackling the Half-page ad controversy once again because the comic I read this week from DC had the half-page ads in it. So I'll give you my take. Was it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Does it not really matter? So I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later on as well. Exactly. So when you see those, you know, whether you're a fan of half-page ads or not, you know, you can always go to see Bob over Fanscape if you live in the Virginia Beach area. And, you know, hey, you're also support your local shops too because, you know, hey, go out and just get comics. That's what I did the other day. I literally pretty much 
went out and bought my three weeks worth of pull that I hadn't gotten yet. Uh, so I mean, there was a comic in there that you actually you actually had Bob put in my in my box for me, and I'm actually really appreciative of that. Uh, but what is it? We'll find out soon, James. Yeah, that's right. Plus, we've got a little bit of a bumping incident in this week in Geek Tamment. If you're a fan of the show, you're really going to get a kick out of this. Plus, Abby Darkstar a little bit later on. We're going to be tackling what we're reading coming up next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We got those long boxes because it's time to discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment is brought to us every week by the five folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards over in Virginia Beach and Aragona Boulevard. Go see Bob. Check out all the great shirts and comics, of course, and figures he has. He has a great selection. Of course, Magic, if you're a big Magic the Gathering player, mm-hmm. he has a variety of cards. It's kind of like the uh, crate. Uh, place, the, the room of all the crates like Indiana Jones. It's like the Costco of Magic the Gathering. Pretty he's got, much. He's got pretty much everything that you're going to need there, but we've got a couple of very interesting comics this week, Nick. Exactly. I'm going to go first this week, so I de- I decided to go indie this week, and decided to go Dark Horse Comics. I decided to talk about Fight Club 2 this week. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? You can't do that. What? I can't do what? You can't talk about, you know what? I, I review a comic? No, 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 no. You, you want to talk about Fight Club? Yeah. What's the first rule of Fight Club? First rule about Fight Club is when you have a comic you have to read from Dark Horse and you want to review it because you want to appease to them, you do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But, yes, yeah, so this week I am doing Fight Club 2. Uh, of course, it's from Dark Horse Comics. I mentioned the writer is Chuck Palunic, and the art is done by Cameron Stewart, and the color is done by Dave Stewart. Now, let's start about the talk about the art for a little bit. Now, it is it, we've look. I mentioned Saga a lot. It is very kind of like that. And a lot of indie books you're seeing that kind of thickness, not as uh, detailed art. I think thickness is actually a very good way to describe it, and it's it's very it's very color based. Yeah. Too, I think so. I think the the colorists definitely get uh, a, a lot bigger wink and a nod in books like this. Yeah, and one thing that's interesting is when you flip through the pages, there's parts of the panels that are covered not by ads like DC, but they're covered with like a rose petal or pills to give that 3D effect of you are the main character, you are Sebastian, and you're popping pills and you have all the rose petals and everything else all over the comic, which is gives a pretty nice. Uh, aesthetic when you're reading the comic. And the thing about this book is is that it, people think about going into the Fight Club too. you think it's going to be following the movie, but it's not. It actually huh. follows the novel, which actually takes place a decade after uh, this comic does. It takes place a decade after the novel does. And it's a limited run. It's actually going to be 10 issues. Uh, and the thing is, like I said, it doesn't follow the film events at all. Of course, however, they're going to be introducing Project Mayhem later in the series, and the main character is Sebastian, who is now on his meds. He's married, of course, to Marla. And Tyler Durden is, of course, narrating the entire comic. So pretty much is, if you've seen the movie, you know, you hear the whole, I am, you know, this person's senses and everything else. Well, it's kind of like that, but Tyler, he's, he's kind of coming back slowly. And, you know, it's a very colorful book in terms of, like, violence and everything else. And it's very... Very nice. The only issue with this book is that, as I said, it's, it's going to be 10 comics. It's going to be a, 10, a limited run. 
The writing felt very fast-paced, as in it knew it was 10 issues, it was going to be 10 issues, so it felt like they had to cut a lot out to get to the next comic. So they were rushing it, basically. It felt like they were rushing it. It kind of felt like, you know, there's some, I think, information that was missing out, some critical information. So did it turn you off that it really wasn't tied to the movie at all? It was just tied to the novel for somebody that didn't read it? Is that a turn-off? Is that maybe a reason to not get this comic? Actually, No. Um, because here's the thing, the way that, uh, Tyler comes back, I'm not going to spoil it, but the way that he comes back and you see kind of how Project Mayhem is very much alive still, it is pretty smart in a sense, how they, how they do it. And, you know, and, and it's about Sebastian, how he's kind of slowly losing control. His, again, his, his marriage to Marla is kind of falling apart because she wants Tyler back. You know, she, right. she wants that crazy person. She's like, where's that crazy son of a bitch I fell in love with? And he's not there because he's all on medication. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just like, it's disintegrating. His whole life's disintegrating. So in a sense, the only way he can feel that he can gain control is by letting Tyler back in. And okay. of course, he kind of has a family tie with it as well as Tyler kind of reveals how maybe Tyler runs in the family, let's just say. And, okay, okay. And, uh... He tries to get rid of Sebastian the same way he got rid of, trying to get rid of somebody else in his family. And his son, Sebastian's son, is very demented too. Like his son is making, he's like nine years old, he's making gunpowder. Like homemade that, that's gunpowder. That's healthy. That's healthy. Yeah. And Marla, of course, you know, which I, I you know, if you can, if you've seen the movie, if you've read the novel, you know that she goes to these meetings for like these ailments that she obviously does not have. And in this one, it's, she goes to a progeria meeting full of progeria wow. kids. Remind people what that is again. Okay, so progeria is an, it's an ailment where pretty much your body ages rapidly, both inside and out. It's where, the Jack from the movie Jack. Yeah, but ten times faster. So you'll be like eight years old, but your body will look like an 80-year-old. And, you know, it'll be brittle. And you won't live that long. You live... You know, some people, there's been cases where they live 10 or more years, a little bit, if they're lucky. But a lot of people make it out of, like, the age of 5 to 8, pretty that's much. Awful, man. Yeah. And it, so that's what it is. So she, she goes to this meeting, and <laughs> the, the the leader of this is like, you don't have, really you don't have progeria. And she goes, but my wrinkles are on the inside. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. She's so demented. And she's like... And the kid's like, but I'm going to be nine. I'm going to die soon. And she's like, and she's talking, and Marla's just talking about like how bad her life is when it's not. And it's just, it's really, really great. And again, it's that callback. We're like, okay, it brings you back. Now, the reason why this for me is a pickup. It's not a pull. It's a pickup. The reason why is because I have a feeling that, yes, while there was a lot of information I felt left out in the first issue, a lot of it I think is due to me not reading the novel. Because again, it follows the novel, not the film. But I think that, again, it's 10 issues, so I think even if you buy the entire series, it's not a big deal. It's not like, you know, a new 52 or 52 issues. Uh, so, again, I, this is a pickup for me because I have a feeling, a weird feeling, because, again, they're going to introduce some characters from the books as well and some re- recurring characters, like Project Mayhem's coming back and everything else. When that comes back, I think it's going to kicked up a lot. I don't expect issue 2 to be much different. I expect maybe issues 3 to 5 to maybe pick up and pick up the pace and really get the thing kicking for me. All right, so that's a pickup. Sounds like you've got you're kind of on the fence, but you're going to give it your standard three issues at least. So yeah. All righty. So I decided to dive into 
DC, and the reason I decided to do DC again this week is there's something I was really excited about. It was Justice League number 41, which is the start of the Dark Side War, which I think is going to blow Convergence out of the water. I think this is going to be a great comic. It's written by Jeff Johns, of course. Art, which is unbelievable, by Jason Fabok. I mean, there are a few better in the business right now, I think. Of course, colors by Brad Anderson, letters by Rob Lee, and um, Brad Anderson actually helped out Jason Fabok on the cover as well. Before I dive into the actual comic and the story, I want to talk about the half-page ads for a second. Yeah. Because we tackled it uh, last week. We talked about it a little bit, but I actually got a first-hand experience uh, with it right here. It, it was about, It's about halfway through the comic, and it's the standard right Twix, left Twix, Nick Lachey kind of thing. I gotta be honest, it didn't bother me. No. You barely notice it, actually. Um, there's there's panels on the top, but the way they did it in this particular issue, it was like, okay, so especially the one on the the page on the left, it was one of those things where you could tell it would it would have been a full page it would have been a full page just art piece yeah. with just one with one thought bubble in it, and they just cut it in half. Yeah, it, I, I want to talk about this too because I actually read a, a DC comic recently that had the same ad in it in the same spot, and I noticed it. I'm not gonna say it wasn't noticeable. I didn't read the ad though because yeah. your mind is, you know, it's that point where it's like you know what to read, what not to read when you're reading a comic, pretty what, much. What was funny about this though is it almost felt like it almost felt like there were less ads. Yeah, I know that it, there probably wasn't, but for some reason. Because I didn't have to, because I didn't have that full page ad and it didn't take my eyes away from the panel, it felt like less. Well, remember too, a lot of the the ads, quote unquote, that DC runs are to promote Flash and Arrow too. Right, those so, are the full page ones. I mean, they've got like the the Midtown Comics ads and stuff like that that are that are strewn in there too. But I mean, it just seemed like there was less. But this comic actually focuses on it doesn't really pick up as much where the uh, Amazon virus arc left off, which I think is good. So if you wanted to jump into this, you really could. And it basically starts right off with a couple of dark sides assassins that are trying to hunt somebody down. The person they're trying to hunt down is a woman named Marina Black. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. But basically, part of this comic focuses on Mr. Miracle. They kind right. of bring him back into the fold. Now, if anybody that's not familiar with Mr. Miracle, basically it was... Uh, Another world wanted to make a peace offering with Darkseid, and the only way they could do that was a man exchanged his son for Darkseid's son. Right. And that kept Darkseid from basically destroying his world because then he'd be destroying his own son. And basically, Mr. Miracle was tortured on uh, on Apocalypse for years and then find a, found a way to escape. So pick up there, and he knows Mr. Miracle basically wants to destroy Darkseid more than anybody else because basically how he was treated on Apocalypse. So he knows that Darkseid's up to something. Mm-hmm. And he kind of finds out that the Justice, Justice League's investigating. They're Basically, the assassins are killing everybody named Marina Black on planet Earth until they find the one that they're looking for. So that's kind of how things start off. But then it takes a huge left turn <laughs> when Darkseid's daughter shows up in this issue. And boy, let me tell you, you want to talk about creating a new character? This is a bad-ass character. I looked at the picture of what she looks like. Her name's Grail, by the way, if people don't know. Uh, when I saw a picture of her, I'm like, yeah, she looks pretty badass. And she, she really basically, does. I don't want to, let me put it this way, the way she enters this issue, I don't want to spoil it because it's such a wow moment. 
yeah. the way she enters this issue might make you drop the comic. Not drop as in take it out of your pull. Drop as in I'm holding it in my hands and it just fell to the floor. It's fire. It's straight fire. Because it's that like, whoa, what just happened? And she basically just starts kicking everyone's ass one by one. And she's like, you, I'm going to choose you first. And she's singling people out. <laughs> and it's like, wow. And But there's other stuff going on in this issue too. Of course, it picks up with... Um, with the uh, nuclear man that actually tried to kill Lex Luthor and the Amazon virus. They're still trying to cure him. So they're in Lex Luthor's lab for part of it. They're at the crime scene investigating these murders. But then something happens to Lex Luthor in this issue as well. I really want to spoil it, but I can't. It is a huge thing. And then somebody makes a huge turn to the other side. There's this huge whoa moment that's like really that just happened you've got to be kidding me wait so you tell me booster gold finally becomes relevant yeah i don't think that's ever gonna happen oh never gonna they they tried in convergence and i don't think it really worked out but there's actually a couple times we're in this issue we go okay is this person dead are they not dead this actually happens a couple of times in this issue now remember dark side's daughter grail is part amazonian blood yeah. So she goes after Wonder Woman. She, Wonder Woman's kind of like the last one that she sort of goes after. And there's a point where you kind of lose track of Wonder Woman. Right. Now, Power Ring is there as well, Jessica Cruz, who is still kind of like a in-training uh, Green Lantern from Earth. I think it's Earth 3. Now, they harness her power, Grail does, to unleash something that we haven't seen for a very long time. And the last time Darkseid was in the same storyline with this character, bad things happened. Right. Like universe changing stuff happened. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I'm really trying hard not to spoil this, but what I'm basically getting at is if you don't have this in your pull already, you need to rectify that immediately and go get this now. If you haven't been reading Justice League, I'm going to tell you, you can pick this up and not be lost. And I think that was a brilliant move by the folks at DC. I'm going to take one more stab at who I think turns. Alfred turns to the dark side because he, doesn't, he forgets to make Bruce Wayne's sandwich for lunch. That's been a mistake that's happened once too often. And you know, he, well, Alfred's always pushing him to eat, and maybe Bruce finally says, Bitch, you eat, and just shoves the sandwich in Alfred's mouth. You know, trying to get him to just do stuff all the time. Man, you're not the boss of me. Yeah. But, no, this was a fantastic issue from start to finish. And and, and I, I can't remember the last time. It, it makes me hate Convergence now. Really? Before it was like... You know, Convergence was okay. It wasn't what I wanted to be. And you're kind of like, this is what Convergence should have been. I read this and I'm like, why wasn't that as good as this? Uh, why did we Why did we even bother with Convergence? Why couldn't we have just skipped? This would have been a better main arc, in my opinion. And I'm a DC guy. I don't love it all, especially not after reading this. This could have been the main arc. This could have been in place of Convergence. It probably would have been better. I'm actually kind of bummed that this is going to have less issues, I think, than Convergence did, the main run there. I'd, so this is a massive pull for me. And I, when you read it, you'll understand how hard it was for me not to spoil this stuff for you because this was probably the best Justice League issue maybe I've ever read. 
in wow. the mo- in the modern times. And as far as like new fi- since the new 52 started to now, this is probably the best Justice League comic I've read. Well, that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Of course, I did Fight Club 2, which I said was a pickup, and I feel like it's going to be getting picking up uh, later in the run. Remember, it's 10 issues, so I think maybe issue 3 to 4, it'll get picked up a little bit a little bit faster. James, you also you read uh, Dark Side Wars from DC, and you thoroughly enjoyed the hell out of it. It's Justice League number 41. Go to Bob's at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards. Get it if you're here. If you're not, wherever your local shop is, get in the car. Keep the podcast on on your on your phone. Listen to us on the way to the shop. Go get it now. Exactly. And uh, coming up next is Geek Tame And boy, oh boy, my, how the tables have turned when it comes to things getting bumped. I'll just say that. Stay tuned. Geek Tame coming your way next. Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia. Well, tributes, it's time to line up because war is coming. It's this week in Geektainment, and I know that if you follow us on Twitter, you're thinking, wait a minute, what's happening right now? Because you told us you were going to talk about something else. Yeah, we were going to talk about Sense8 this week. However, in a various rarity form, like a phoenix rising from the ashes, or Mockingjay, I should say, hey the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 trailer came out this week, and of course, we had a Move it aside. Now, for those of you who are not regular listeners of the show, first of all, shame yeah. on you. Second of all, uh, several months ago, we were trying to review the trailer for Mock and Jay Part 1. <laughs> yeah. And we kept saying, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I think th- it was three weeks in a row. We pushed it. Something happened that we had to, we're like, well, now we got to do this. It was like, you know, like the Gotham trailer came out or something. And it was we kept like- getting moved and moved and moved. Yeah, it was like the Gotham trailer came out, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, like this movie just came out, or this trailer for this other movie came out, you know? Uh, Ultron like, trailer came out. Yeah, it, Force actually, Awakens came out. Yeah, it's like, oh my god. The, the, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you ever seen. Uh, you're watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Of course. Okay, did you see. Remember the episode when Alf hosted? Yes. Remember when he's like, we have the Pope on this week, or tonight, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, Ed is pretty much looking at Alf, say, Alf, you should have, you know, you should uh, have the Pope come out. It's his turn for his segment, and he's like, the Pope, and all of a sudden, he had like the curtains open, and then he just was like, and also Alf be like, wait a minute, we got something else, and the curtains was closed on the Pope, so he'd be stuck backstage. So they would like introduce the Pope like four times throughout the show to have him come on to the set, and he like couldn't make his way on. It was fucking hilarious. But this time, Katniss Everdeen will not be denied, because this is it, Nick. This is the closing movie for The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, and there was a lot going on in this trailer. There really, really was, and before I want to get to my takes, because I know I probably have a very different take than yours, I want to get your take first on this. Well, I mean, there was, of course you remember where things left off at the end of the last movie, where where Pete is basically trying to choke out Katniss, and it's like, this war is, is kind of on sort of thing, and that's where you kind of pick up where it left off. It's one of those things where it was like, okay, war is coming, but here's the deal. They they kind of blow the lead. I mean, you know that Pete is not going to stay that way, right. but you see, like, Peta and Katniss hugging, and you see uh, Finnick getting married to his uh, to his lovely bride there. And you see everything's hunky dory over there in District Thirteen, and then all of a sudden it's not because it's like, all right, if we win the one win this, we need to take the war to the capital, and that's where the action kind of picks up. Now, when you people are saying, why do you guys have different takes on this? 
Because you were saying that it almost feels like this trailer almost felt like deleted scenes from the last movie, right? Yeah, like when I was watching the trailer for it, and I understand that with most movies that sadly don't need to be cut into two, into two films, but they do because the studios want to make more money, of course. You had the first part, which is all dialogue, and the second part is all action, action, action. But because this is a film where it's a continuation, and because I felt that they, where they paused it, where they ended it, was a very not good way to end it or not good place to end See, it. See, my wife felt the same way. and she, Of course, you know, we're reviewing this having not read the books. I want to make that perfectly clear. My yeah. wife has. And she said the same thing. She said, I don't know why they stopped there. Yeah. So I think you guys definitely agree on that. Yeah, and you know, I felt like deleted scenes because, you know, throughout the time, it's like, it, it literally, you know, we talked about uh, Fair, how, you know, it just felt like more like you paused the film, you came back and watched it, which this was just like, it felt like deleted scenes because it was just, I felt it was kind of all over the place in a sense. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because um, I, I did feel a little bit differently, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I felt like the beginning of this trailer yeah. felt like the end of Return of the Jedi, where there were the Ewoks and everybody's happy and you know, the Death Straws destroyed and Darth Vader's dead and everybody's, you know, dancing around. It really, the beginning of this trailer gave me that vibe where it felt like it was over and it's not even close to over. So I don't know where all the celebration came in, especially after the way the last movie ended. So that was a little weird for me. Exactly. And my thing, like I said, going back to the old deleted thing, scenes thing, it was just, it felt very mad to me. It felt like when I was watching the scenes, you know, they're being chased by this like tarish stuff and everything else and other things. And I'm just like, it felt like, where is this? You know, because you had a whole movie full of dialogue and some action uh, but it was more propaganda piece. You, you know? got it. You got to admit though, when she's walking towards that building, and all of a sudden, all these people yeah, join I, her. That was that was a goosebumps moment, right I, there. I will agree with that. I did like that moment. However, again, this is a movie that doesn't need to be two films. It should never been two films. The book never. You know, the book's not two films or two books, I should say. And you know, it, stop it. Like. See, like like, I, so this is this is what I think this is where it's going to start butting Hollywood in the ass because it, it, when Hunger Games: Mocking Jay Part One came out, a lot of people there were people like, "Oh, we loved it; it was great." But a lot of people were like, "Really? Like it wasn't all that well, great?" They didn't care for where they ended it, like you said. But my take on the whole two films part, and I totally agree that we don't need to do this. Uh, I do think The Hobbit needed to be two movies. I didn't think it needed to be three, but I think it needed to be two. But for the most part, this doesn't need to be done. But And you're right, it's totally a money grab. And I don't understand when this just suddenly became a thing. I don't think this needed to be two movies either. Again, I haven't read the book, so it's really hard for me to say. But I know my wife has said they probably could have done this in one movie. And, and I agree that this is like... It, and this is where you run into the danger. Because the way I see it a little bit differently, I don't feel like it's deleted scenes. I feel like it's a continuation. So it almost feels like you're watching the same movie, but all you did was hit the pause button for a year. And like it's like you start watching a movie, and then life happens, and you can't get to it. And then a year later, you're like, all right, well, I might as well finish this thing. And that's kind of what's going on when you break these movies into two parts. Yeah, I want to piggyback off that. That's actually a really great point you made, James, because... My thing is, is you said you remember you said you paused, you came back for it. It's, it is. It's kind of like you pause the movie, you get up, and then we both have done this where we get up, we go do some like. There's some times like I'll leave my TV on, and I'll keep something on pause, and I'll come back at like ten o'clock at night after pausing it for X amount of hours. I'm like, oh, this is still on. That's right. Well, 
I'll finish it tomorrow, or I might as well just finish it now, but I'm not going to be as attentive as I would have been earlier. And the way that the first one ended, where I'm like, okay, this not it puts a lot of pressure on part two because it's kind of like, in a sense, it set the bar low for part two, I think. Because number one, it felt the first part felt very, it was that, you know, it was, it was just Katniss. There's some things with her character I didn't like. Uh, I mean, going back to our well, we, months yeah, ago, we, 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 we talked, talked about, about that and great, but life. but yeah, but I mean, it's just with part two, it's setting up to where. It has like it, it, it has to go all out in a sense, but the thing is, at what's the cost? You know what I'm saying? Well, here's here's the danger, and I think that this is kind of where you're going. The danger is if the second movie drags. Yeah. Because like you said, they set the scene so much in the first movie, which I didn't think was necessarily a bad thing. They set the scene so much in the first movie that if the second movie drags at all People are going to be super critical of it because what are they going to say? They're going to say, this is part two. You had whole part one to do what you needed to do here. Why are you dragging it on in part two? Now, I know you said you don't want the, you know, the, the dangerous of being action, action, action. I'm not saying that the second movie needs to be all action. But what the second movie needs to do now, being part two, is get to the point. You right. get to the point faster and things need to happen without any fluff and filler because you had enough of that in the first movie. That's why you split it into two parts in the first place, supposedly other than to make money. Exactly. You know, my final point to make before we wrap uh, is just, you know, of course, we're going to make a lot of money and it's probably a lot of critical acclaim uh, because, you know, it's the way that it's not just because Hunger Games is the way that a lot of like endings of certain trilogies go uh, where, you know, or, or quadrilogies you really want to, you know, consider part it's one too. It's a trilogy. Two. We, just, we just need yeah. to call it a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, I think that with this, I'm not saying it's a bad movie because, of course, we haven't seen it yet. But my thing is just with the way that they started off, the way that they, where they ended it, I'll say this. I'll just make my final point. Where they ended it in the first part, I can tell the beginning is the first half hour is probably going to start off really, really slow, especially where they ended it in the part one. Well, they've got stuff to deal with immediately. In part two, and if they don't deal with it immediately, then people are going to be very critical, and and I think that that's where the danger lies. But the danger lies ahead because we are still going to be talking about a bunch of nerd news, and that is next here on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book artist Matt Slay, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, where James and I go around the interwebs and see what's trending because it's time for what, James? Nerd news! We're actually just going to start with some breaking news in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So a while back, Chwell uh, Ejiofor, who, of course, was the Oscar nominee from 12 Years a Slave, great job. Mm-hmm. He was pretty much cast in a mystery role for Doctor Strange. A lot of people didn't know who it was, and we finally found out who it is, and he's been playing Baron Mordo. It's very interesting because Baron Mordo is the main antagonist basically in the Doctor Strange universe. He was the other guy with the Ancient One when the Ancient One sought out uh, Doctor Strange to kind of teach him magic. So he was kind of like the other guy. I, I was watching the Doctor Strange animated film from 2007 actually before we started this. And I the parallels between Doctor Strange and Green Lantern are frighteningly close. I know, you're always going to have that in the Marvel and DC universe. You're always going to have those, okay, this person is this person, this person is that person. Well, because in Doctor Strange, you have Dormammu, who is the parallax, pretty much, of, you know, Doctor Strange's world. And you have Mordo, who, 
It's like Sinestro, where he's mm-hmm. a good guy at first, and then finds out that he's not, you know, could be the new Sorcerer Supreme, which sounds like a tasty sandwich at McDonald's, by it the way. It really does. Let's make that happen. Try our new Sorcerer Supreme. Where has that partnership been? I don't know. So McDonald's, Jeez. if you're listening, we like to start oh, the partnership. Stop partnering with Subway. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my God. You can't make mat. a Sorcerer Supreme $5 foot long. It's no, just not... well, especially on the yoga mat bread. Yeah, so. it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, uh, no, so the, the parallels are really, really close. Now, people don't know who Baron Mordo is. I really don't expect a lot of people to know because, like I said, it, it, they're getting to a point now at the MCU where you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. A lot of people don't know who these people are. They might know them by name. They don't know the whole origins or something else. Plus, there's them. like 18 Barons in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Too, so. Baron Zemo, Baron number two, Baron, Baron Von Strucker. Yeah, I mean, right? <laughs> so many Barons. <laughs> Uh, but a little background on uh, Baron Mordor. He was actually a Transylvanian, Transylvanian nobleman named Carl Amadeus Mordo. Uh, he became a student of the Tiberian Sorcerer, known as, of course, the Ancient One, who rumors so far swirl around that Tilda Swinton might be playing the Ancient One. Uh, Mordo's abilities are similar to those of Doctor Strange, actually, but Mordo actually was more skilled as an astral projection right. and hypnosis, uh, as well as mesmerism. He was also willing to use the black magic and invoke demons as well, but the thing is, when he uses those things, they sometimes bet, you know strike back on him and turn on him, in a sense. As black, ma- as black magic often does. As it often does. So, I mean, I'm excited about it. And the funny thing about it is, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit, uh, a lot of the comments I've seen from various sites have said, like, well, where's all the crying about Baramoto's not black? Well, it's totally edgy for. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's, it, he got an Oscar nominee actor, and a lot of the, the comments have been, I love him 12 Years a Slave. He's such a great actor, everything else. Whereas, we look at Fantastic Four, is a lot, totally different story, as why. Uh, and, Michael B. Jordan was cast. Yeah, and that's and that's not even a fair comparison to the two actors because I think that one is far superior to the other, and I don't think many people would argue that point. I mean, this is a huge departure from the comics. Let's not kid ourselves, especially yeah. if they end up casting Tilda Swinton. But I mean, I think that your your point that you made when we were talking about this off the air is a valid one, and that you know these are characters that you need skilled actors to play, and not that there aren't other skilled actors that could make this work. But I mean, there's a, especially with a movie like Dr. Strange, I think there's a certain, a certain vibe and a certain skill that is involved in playing these characters that have some, some depth, like some real depth. And I think you need good actors and actresses to play those roles. Well, let's face it. Baramorto is not Johnny Storm. No, no, on a popularity level, he's not that. So that's why you're going to see less of a, other than the fact that I said, like, Edge of Four is such a great actor, and it's just the fact that it's a lesser-known character, so you're not going to be pissed. It's kind of like when people, I see people get pissed about the ancient one being by, played by Tilda Swinton, possibly. I'm like, really? Like, when was the last time you read a Doctor Strange comic and actually care about the ancient one, knew who the ancient one was? <laughs> it's not like Kate Upton's playing the ancient one, okay? Yeah, let's right? Just, <laughs> let's just put that out there right now. And, and I mean, Johnny Storm, like you said, is a different character. You can't, you know, like, be an arrogant little smartass and be like, oh, that was great. You did a great job. It's a different kind well, that's... Of, of role completely. I mean, you can't... Not just anyone is going to be able to play Born, Baron Mordo, Mordo. I'm sorry. Well, like I said, the popularity level. Giant Storm is a one of the most popular characters in Marvel, whereas Baron Mordo isn't. So when it comes right. to casting those two different roles, you're going to get more skepticism 
from somebody being cast to play Giant Storm than you will somebody playing Baron Mordo. Not only that, but I think that there were other choices there. Yeah. You know, for Johnny Storm. There was a lot there were a lot more choices for Johnny Storm probably than there were for Baron Mordo. And I think that we need to get rid of this notion that anyone could have played Baron Mordo. Yeah. I think we need to drop that. I know that some people say, well, it's if it's such a lesser known character, why not just give it to anybody? Well, why don't we just do that for all the movies then? Well, that's a set, but like it goes back on my original thought of it, it back, you know, Doctor Strange and Baramoto, they're known, but they're not known. You know what I'm saying? And you need to, you know, pretty much kind of do what DC did in the sense when you look at like some Suicide Squad stuff and everything else and getting these big name exactly. actors. Exactly. That's exactly the point right there. You know, getting these big name actors to play these little known roles in hopes that they can project them into that superstar status. Because it, it all has to start somewhere, right? I mean, right. let's not kid ourselves. We've, we've got to get... Certain characters can all of a sudden... Look at Harley Quinn. Yeah. Look at how Batman the Animated Series rolls around. They create a new character named Harley Quinn. Now look where we're at. You never know what and where a launching pad is going to be for a character. Just Agent Coulson's another perfect example. Yeah. I mean, you started out in Thor, and then all of a sudden in Avengers... He gets launched into this stratosphere of this character that everybody loves. So, I mean, you just never know where it's going to be. So why not get it right and see what happens? Exactly. So I can't wait to see what happens with Edge of Four and Benedict Cumberbatch and Doctor Strange. But actually, as far as the next phase goes, I'm actually a lot... I'm actually really, really interested in seeing that film because, again, it's sorcery. It's the start of the whole mystic universe, so we'll see how that goes. But I'm a magic guy anyway. Not yeah. Magic the Gathering, but I, I like movies about magic and stuff. Like, I love the prestige. Well, because you look like Doctor Strange, too. Is well, that well, well thing. you know, I'm still a little bent out of shape about not being cast, but you know. I know. It's okay, though. But somebody who has been cast, of course, is the Punisher. We found out who's going to be playing the Punisher. It's going to be, of course, Walking Dead alum John Bernthal, who's going to be playing Frank Castle. On, and I think they're doing this really, really the right way. Season two of Daredevil. Now, if yep. you look at the di- now, if you look at the logo for season two of Daredevil, it's full of bullet holes. Yep. So, so does this mean we're going to get the Punisher being not so much a good guy, or maybe being that anti-hero we all know and love? who kind of wants to clean the streets by no matter means and sees Daredevil more as a threat. I think that this is a character that the MCU folks didn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Right. Because he just doesn't fit into what they're doing right now. And I think that they needed to find a venue to be able to bring this character in because if they didn't bring the character in at all, Marvel fans would have been really pissed off because this is a character that people have been waiting for. But... Once Netflix came out, once Daredevil came out, it was different, it was edgy. They were like, this is where we bring him in right here. Well, and here's the thing, too, is you look at the two Punisher films that were recent, the most recent ones. Do I have to? Listen to what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> when you watch those films, there's one big thing that sticks out to me, other than the fact that they're not the greatest, is that Punisher doesn't work in a standalone film. He works more when he's surrounded by other Marvel characters. And Punisher fans, don't kid yourself, okay? Yeah. He's right. He doesn't. He really doesn't. He can't carry his own film. I mean, look at the... Series? Maybe. Maybe. But, I mean, look at, like, the Spider-Man animated cartoon from the 90s when Punisher was introduced. What made him such a great character in that? He was surrounded by Spider-Man and all these other, you know... popular villains he works more as an ensemble character yeah and we're gonna you know start off probably with him 
probably hunting down Daredevil and then kind of turning around and helping him and supporting him in a sense. But I'm excited about this because I got the thing they got the casting right. Uh, because if you watch Wolf of Wall Street, the character that Bernthal plays, he's more of like that tough guy, Italian tough guy in a sense, and Jersey Shore-esque type. But he has that kind of mean streak about where you don't want to piss him off. I think he's got the look too. Oh, yeah. I think that I think that this is one of those times where Marvel said, you know what, we, we need to get the look right. And I think they certainly did. Now, what do you think they're gonna do costume wise? Are they gonna go with more of a real life sort of costume like they did at the beginning of Daredevil, or do you think they're gonna give him the trademark skull shirt or even suit right away? He won't get the trademark skull. I think he'll get more maybe like a special ops kind of look. Uh to him, maybe like a you know, like a like a and stuff like that, and then maybe something will happen where he, you know, puts the skull on, like, you know, spray paints it on or something like that. It's not going to be where he shows up wearing a shirt, because I think that'd be, honestly, I think that'd be too hokey. I think that'd be, like, really kind of a thing. You know, I, you know, I think we'll see more of, like, I think we'll see more of, like, a Slade Wilson look to him. I think we're going to get more of, like, a street-worn look. Yeah. Like, he's one of those guys that has this, you know, like, he... Like, his home base of operations is in one of those uh, stereotypical, like, abandoned warehouse type things. And he's got, like, the t-shirt that's got the stains on it. Necessarily, not necessarily the skull t-shirt. But, you know, you could his pants are tattered, his shirts are tattered. Maybe he's got a trench coat or something that's got a few holes in it. Yeah. I think that might be the kind of thing that they go for. He's going to be more of the wilder traveler kind of thing. Yeah, because I think if they go, uh, what you said at first with the whole special ops thing, I think that's too polished for what they want to do with Hell's Kitchen. So I think that they might go, at least initially, with that look. But I think I think you're right. I don't think the Skull T-shirt's going to be, uh, or the, any version of the Skull shirt's going to be on him right away. Because, let's face it, he's... Are they going to go with established or not? I think they're going to go with not. Yeah. I think they're going to go with who is this guy, and what is his backstory, and why is he doing what he's doing. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. You know, I mean... Because the thing is, too, is we know Bullseye is going to be in the next season. Right. It's not Carousel. After the whole Jason Statham talks fell apart. I'm saying Michael C. Hall right now. I would love that. Right now. And I, I, I've been saying that from the beginning. I haven't said it on this show yet. Yeah. Michael C. Hall is my pick because I think he'd be Which amazing. Which brings up another point I want to bring up for season two. I think now we're going to get, I mean, even though he was kind of in the first few episodes of the first season, we're going to get more of Kingpin is the string puller. He's not yeah. going to be seen as much. He's going to be string pulling the strings. He knows that Daredevil exists, so that's probably why he's going to have Bullseye come in. Yeah, I think that that's going to be part of it, and I think that that'll be a reveal yeah. later on in the season. It'll be one of those, we thought we were done with him, now we're not kind of done with him things. And I, I know that gets done a lot, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because <laughs> don't you kind of want this guy to be the string puller? Right. Now here's my thing, and here's the last thing I'll say about Daredevil before we move on to our next story. I hope they don't put too many characters in one season. Like, I don't want to see Electra be brought in because that's going to bring in another dynamic, especially when you bring in a Punisher and you got Bullseye. It'd yeah. be too much. I think if they do it at the end with Electra, though, like if it was like the last episode, yeah. then yeah. I'd be okay with that. That would be fine. Uh, and remember, too, we also have the thing with the hand that's also rumored around as well because, you know, Nobu is in there, our friend Peter Shinkoda. You know, we don't know when he'll be back. I think Peter will be back. I, I hope Peter will be back. Uh, but we'll see. But I think that I th I can see Bullseye maybe being the main centerpiece of season two, and then maybe season three they'll bring in Electra, and then maybe they'll bring in the Hand as well. I think that would be a good time to do that too, because those worlds kind of 
collide, and that makes sense. Yeah. If you really think about the uh, about the cannon there, I think that that would be a good time to do it because you, you let's face it, you have to get Bullseye done early, right? Because he is still a main villain of the Daredevil universe. So you you got to have him in early. So season two is definitely a good opportunity to do that. But speaking of opportunities, Nick, that actually didn't really happen. Bruce Tim had some very interesting things to say uh, when he was uh, doing a press interview for uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters. Yes, he was doing a, an interview, and he pretty much had some, an interesting take on something that he wanted to do that Man of Steel did that he couldn't do, Bruce, to talk about Bruce Tim. Uh, and he said, quote, a couple of years back when The Man of Steel came out, I remember the frenzy of the fans when they said, oh, I can't believe Superman killed General Zod. Superman would have never done that. When I was watching the movie, my first thought was, well, dang, I want to do that in the Doomsday movie where we had Superman versus Doomsday. I was going to have Superman do exactly the same deed. Doomsday was going to be getting ready to kill some innocent bystanders, and Superman was already mortally wounded, and he was going to use his last bit of strength to break Doomsday's neck. DC would let me do it, and I said, okay, well, the version of Superman can do it. Or, you know, this version of Superman can do it. Nobody could ever say Superman can't do that. This version of Superman, we don't know what he's going to do. And, of course, that was in an interview with uh, Comic Book Resources. And the Superman he's referring to, Nick, is the Superman in Justice League Gods and Monsters. Now, you and I have both watched the Machinima uh, first two Justice League Gods and Monsters Chronicles. <laughs> and I told you when I watched the Harley Quinn one, I said, you need to go watch this now. It's amazing. And, it re- and even the Superman one was amazing and this is so different and i know i was wor- I, i'll be honest i was worried about it at first but after seeing it it's like wow this is so cool here's the thing we're not going to spoil going to a review of the superman gods of modesty i just will say this the way this starts out has a very man of steel ending feel to it where you don't know what's happening at first i thought superman was the cause of what was happening Mm-hmm. Then you find out it's another totally different character who we're not going to talk about. And then at the end, he does something to said character, which leaves you in just shock you, and you wonder. Could, you could say who it is. It's in the title. Okay. Well, it's, the title is just Bomb. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not called. But if you look at the logo for the video, True. it tells you who it is. It's Brainiac. And he, do, he, he pretty much does something to Brainiac where Bruce Timm finally gets his Man of Steel moment. And, and, and when we say Brainiac... Wait until you see Brainiac. Yeah. Okay. That's all. That, that see that we can't spoil. That we can't spoil. That's... Wait until you see Brainiac because that's when the wow moment happens. <laughs> yeah. And there's a wow moment in the Batman versus Harley Quinn as well. But I think that we were. I was trying to figure out why now for Bruce Tim. Right. And I think I've finally figured it out. I think. Now follow me on this. Okay. I think, in a weird way. Man of Steel brought Bruce Tim back into the DC universe. You think? Based on these comments, uh-huh. he wanted to do something years ago that would have been groundbreaking, would have been different, but DC told him no. He sees Man of Steel and he goes, we're playing by different rules now. Right. I can finally do stuff that I wanted to do years ago, but I wasn't allowed to do because it's a different time and they're taking a different direction. So now I'm excited because that's how you get these geniuses back. Get them excited again. So now I'm excited. I get to do something different, do something that I've been wanting to do for years. So I'm going to come back, enter Justice League Gods and Monsters. Right. And I want to say this too, is I never had a problem with Superman breaking Zod's neck in Man of Steel. My problem was the whole Metropolis being trash and he's not saving anybody. 
But then I see the synopsis pretty much for Batman vs Superman. I'm saying, okay, the ending for Man of Steel makes so much more sense now. That poster, I have no problem with it. That poster, the ones that were just released, one of Superman and one of Batman, yeah, with the graffiti all over it and the whole false god thing, and you're not a hero. I'm like, wow, Man of Steel is getting more and more brilliant by the day. Yeah, and it's kind of shocking I'm saying about uh, Zack Snyder film. <laughs> But well, I mean, hey, I mean, give give the devil his due. He did what he he knew what he was doing, and he didn't tell anybody yeah. what he was doing. But I think that when you look at what Bruce Tim did, I want to back you know go go back on your moment. I think it did bring him back to the forefront because again, you know, it's like uh, we can play on different rules, especially now they're doing it, it's more Earth Two, where you know, or Earth Three or whatever it is, where Superman is you know he's a son of Zod. And Wonder Woman is, you know, not from the Amazon. She's from Ares. And then right. Batman, of course, is Man-Bat. Kirk he's Langstrom. Kirk Langstrom, and he has cancer. He's a vampire. Uh, so, but I think when the whole does this change your view on the end of Man of Steel, it, like I said, my, my view was never, I was never him killing General Zod. I'm kind of thinking, like, in that scene when he's pretty much using his heat vision, talking about Zod, and he's going to kill those people. What else was he going to do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's going to pin him to the ground. You what know? was he going to do? Throw him somewhere else so he could try and do the exact same thing to somebody where he, wherever he got thrown? Right. And then the property damage argument comes back in again. Plus, you're really going to throw somebody that is currently using their heat vision? Is that a good plan? Right. I don't think it is. Right. If you hold If you hold him down to the ground, he burrows a hole in the ground. So you're begging for trouble no matter what you do. So again, yeah, I, I've never had a problem with that. And I've also had never had a problem with it because... It's not like it's never happened before. Right. And speaking of plans and, and running with a good plan, now we all, we both of us read Dark Horse comics. I mean, for Christ's sakes, I actually reviewed Fight Club 2 this week. Right. Mm-hmm. And so some interesting comments were made, of course, by Mike Richardson, who, of course, is the founder of Dark Horse Comics. And he was having, giving an interview with The Rap because he was talking about in promotion for the new sci-fi show. Of course, it's taken from a Dark Horse cop- a property called Dark Matter. So when he was asked about Marvel and DC's slate of superhero films, Richardson said, "We never really tried to fit inside the entertainment, fit inside the entertainment side of our company. We've done something like 30 films and a television project since our first one in '92, which is of course called Doctor Giggles, and we've never really tried to fit inside the Marvel box. These superhero style movies, we think, were much better off of having a better spectrum of content, pitching a variety of content. Although we're not against doing those types of films." And then he also said when it came to Superhero Fatigue that it would take them two to three years to get a superhero film up and then distributed it by a time the fatigue more likely would have been set in. And, you know, he did say that, you know, that the Marvel and DC thing did help them out in, 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 to a certain extent. But he's saying more of, yeah, we're Dark Horse. You know, we did the whole Hellboy and everything else. We're more focused on giving people a variety of films and a variety of content. I mean, our next film is 2016's Tarzan. Of course, it's starring Alexander Skarsgård, Sam Jackson, Margot Robbie, Christoph Waltz, Jaiman Hansu, and John Hurt. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. That's what I like about indies or smaller publishers, I'll say, is that I like the fact that they say, you know what? The superhero route's been being covered by the two major guys. Let's focus on some of our... Minor, or, or you know, give give the audiences some different stuff from us. Well, I I have three thoughts on this. First of all, they don't really have any. 
Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for them to try to do it anyway. I mean, if they wanted to create a new character, you know, you got to get that character developed first before you even get a chance to do that. So they, they make a good point there. Second of all, two, three years from now, I don't think we're going to have to worry about superhero fatigue. What they're going to have to worry about is, and Valiant's going to run into this with their properties they have coming out, is being lost in the shuffle. Because you think that there's a lot now. There's really going to be a lot in the next two to three years. And then the final thing I'll say, uh, and my final point is, Ron Perlman just came out talking about wanting to make a Hellboy 3 movie and ending the trilogy and wanting to do it right. And then not even a week after he comes out and tries to make this big push, Dark Horse's and, you know, we really don't want to do anything like that. So I just thought that that was kind of a kick in the balls to <laughs> what Ron Perlman's been telling everybody who will listen. But see, I think see, I always view Hellboy as a superhero. I don't. I don't either. I don't know where that, I don't know where that came so up. So maybe the whole Hellboy 3 thing will still happen because I, I don't view it as a superhero, you know. But I, here's the thing. And I want to kind of backtrack a little bit of what you said. Uh when it comes to like you know getting lost in a shuffle, here's the thing too, and here's the problem as well for smaller publishers who are getting to that superhero realm and the you know, MCU realm. After 2020, 2019, after Inhumans, after Marvel's done with all their phases, at least I believe they would be would be done with all their phases, and DC's pretty much done, or at least three quarters of the way done they'll with their entering, phase. They'll be entering whatever next phase they have. Because yeah, they're they're several years behind Marvel, so they'll still be going. Pretty strong. So they'll be like a halfway, three quarters away there. What you know? What I'm saying after like Infinity Wars, how and Inhumans, how are you going to top that? You know what I'm saying? Like you know, yeah. whether the movie's good or not, it's still a Marvel property. It's still going to make billions and billions of dollars. And then again, you got DC's thing to go against. So it's like not only we'd be lost in a shuffle, but it comes up to, well, shit. You know, I just had how can we back this up? I just had a thought, and this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but follow me on it. Right. We've seen Marvel reset to number one, what, two, at least two times? Yeah. With their comics in the last year and a half, two years? Mm-hmm. What if, at the end of Infinity War, they try and do the same thing with their films and everything gets set back to number one, and they redo Iron Man, redo Captain America, redo Thor... Is that a possibility? That I'm thinking that could happen. I hope it doesn't happen because the thing is, Hemsworth, Downey, Evans, they're their characters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it'd be too soon. Like, it, like, it, like when it comes to characters like Batman, for example, you can kind of change who Batman is, you know, whatever. Because at the end of the day... It's Cape and Cowl and everything else, and it's 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 Batman. That's who it's, you're looking for more than anything else. Yeah, Cape and Cowl. You're not Bruce Wayne. Yeah, you need him to be a good Bruce Wayne, but you don't really care. Do yeah, you? but like with like Downey, he is Tony Stark. Literally, he is Tony Stark. Oh, I would never make another Iron Man movie with anybody else. Yeah, ever. Um, you know, but like I said it's just like there's getting to a point now where these characters are getting too irreplaceable uh, as far as far as I think actors go. And I think maybe then we'll see. I'm just kind of thinking some Marvel comics that are, that are out. Eventually, they're going to do a Miss Marvel. Yeah, they'll do it. But I think that that's years away. Yeah, Miss Marvel, maybe a Vision spinoff. We don't know. Um, but again, it's just after that, man. I mean, after Infinity Wars, what could you do? Right. That's that's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I know that there's always Secret Wars, but can you? 
At that point, I don't really think you can do a Secret Wars. And you got to build up to it. You can't just go Infinity War to Secret Wars. That that doesn't make any sense. Not at all. Um, You don't have the rights to a Wolverine or any of the X-Men movies. I think X-Men movies could go on for a while. Yeah. I mean, I still think that there's stories to tell in the X-Men universe. And you don't have rights to, like, Deadpool or anything like that. So what they're doing is they're running out of characters that they have rights for. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is the thing. And so, you know, when you look at this, I'm going back to Dark Horse because I want to kind of get back on track a little bit here. But with Dark Horse, it's kind of like, I think it's a breath of fresh air because it's kind of like, I want to see these publishers, these small publishers, set their own trail, blaze their own trail with their own intellectual properties or properties or whatever. Uh, I think that when you look at it, it's a smart move by Dark Horse and... You know, and their original characters too. You know, or not, you or for a certain, to a certain point, not, well, not, not Tarzan, but I mean, like Valiant with you know Exo Man of War and Bloodshot and everything yeah. else. You don't need to make movies just because everybody else is. Yeah, uh, I know that there's a Tomb Raider movie that will be coming out eventually, and they have the rights to the Tomb Raider comics, but I don't really count that. No, because that's I mean it's theirs, but it's not. You know, yeah. so I mean as far as their original stories, I mean like I'm reading Harrow County right now with Cullen Bunn, which I think is a great story, and that could be a movie at some point. I could definitely see. I mean, even though we're only two issues in, I could see that being a movie. But movies are being picked up for comic book properties before the first issue even comes out, and TV series too. So, I mean that's the kind of road we're going down. And I think that again, one of the final points I'll make on this is we need to start making the separation between comic book property and superhero property. Right. Because we're getting to that point now where there's so many different stories in comics mm-hmm. that you you hear comics and you think superhero, or at least you used to. We need to stop that. We need to stop thinking that all comics are superheroes. But in saying that you don't have to make these movies and stuff like that, there's always Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach all the Dark Horse comics are going to be there. You can always go see them, and you can always add those to your poll. Exactly. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Come up next with a special guest, of course, Abby Darkstar, cosplay extraordinaire, and also new Ubisoft employee. We're talking about Assassin's Creed Syndicate with her and cosplay stuff and more. Stay tuned. Interview with Abby Darkstar coming up next on Down Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book writer on Mars. You are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Well, another week and yet another very special guest here on the Down and Nerdy podcast. It is the one and only cosplay extraordinaire and more, Abby Darkstar. Abby, how are you doing this evening? I am doing wonderful. How are you guys? I'm doing good. I'm just trying to get through the work week and as we all are. <laughs> I'm going to go with good. Yeah, I'm going to go with good too. Why the heck not? So we're very happy to have you uh, on the show this week. We want to uh, start off. Well, let's talk about your cosplaying a little bit first before we get to some other stuff that just recently happened with you. Now, they say you always remember your first. So what was your first cosplay and how challenging was it to put together? Well, my first cosplay was actually Anita Blake. Um, the first time I wore a costume, it was mostly assembled from stuff I had in my closet. Obviously, Anita Blake, she wears, you know, t-shirt jeans and stuff. Uh, I was reading at that time, they had the, the regular comic coming out, and there was a trade uh, hardcover that had Anita on it with this, like, penguin shirt on, and she just looked really cool, and I was like, oh, I'm going to make that, because I was really into Anita Blake at the time. 
And uh, so I had an artist friend sketch out the penguin shirt for me. I got it in Photoshop. I printed it onto a shirt, and then I just assembled the rest of it in the cosplay. Got a wig. I was so proud of myself. Went to the convention. Nobody even knew I was cosplaying. Oh, oh come on. Man. <laughs> I was like, but the shirt. The shirt, guys. The shirt. <laughs> and then you've got to explain it, and it's just not fun at that point. No, but um, other than that, it was Poison Ivy, because uh, Poison Ivy was, has always been one of my favorite comic book characters, and I've always admired her, not for, only for being, you know, a very sexy being, but also for her brilliance, because, you know, she's a, she's a doctor, and she used her brains and her beauty to accomplish her goals, although it's yeah, about crazy goals, but she, you know, she's accomplished or tried to accomplish them, so you got to give her credit for that. Exactly. I mean, she is one of the most like, accomplished villains in just all of comics, too, which is a great, great thing. Uh, now, when you talk about Poison Ivy, and also you did a She-Hulk one, so I gotta ask you, what's it like to have to go through the whole painting process, and what what is that like? Is that like, Just talk about the rigors of going through that process. Well, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I work with a lot of talented body artists, because it would take me twice as long, I think, to do it myself. It's it is a rigor because you have to be able to stand for long periods of time, um, mostly absolutely still, or even like when the body art needs you to like stand a certain way to like engage your muscles so that way they can paint them in a certain mm-hmm. way. So you're basically doing isometrics for four hours. Jesus. And then you have, you have whatever photo shoot you have to do or, or et cetera. Um, I, I always end up green. I have never, ever been another color. <laughs> and I, I, I told, you know, people are like, always giving me green characters. Like, why can't I be blue? Come on, get blue, purple, pink even. Just let's, let's do another color. So I am going to eventually do a Twi'lek. And I, I'm like, I am not doing green. I am not doing a green Twi'lek. I want to be blue or I want to be like purple. Some other color than green. And then, of course, <laughs> friend of mine for Comic-Con, she's like, hey, uh, would you help us with this cosplay group, and do you mind being green? I was like, what the? <laughs> 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 but, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it is, you have to be patient. You have to, you know, know how to stand, because if you tense up for too long, you can actually cause yourself to faint. And, and, and then, of course, there's the wearing of body paint, which, depending on what type of paint you wear, either water-based or alcohol-based, you have to be very conscious of how you're moving, and then there's also the getting it off, which is, can be can be interesting. But I I have to say the funnest part of wearing body paint is if when you wear it to like San Diego Comic Con, because San Diego is so crazy, nobody wants to touch you. So it's like you have this little bubble of nobody wanting to touch you nice. at San Diego Comic Con. I'm like, haha! I just figured it out. <laughs> well also the sweat factor too when you're dealing with body paint as well it's kind of you know especially when you're doing photo shoots like you do and you're under all those lights I, I have to say I'm very fortunate I'm not a very sweaty person so I've never really faced that you actually get really kind of cold doing body paint because uh, you obviously have to be uh, mostly undressed for the body paint to go on so imagine standing for four hours you know, and especially if, they're, if, they, if the body artist is using like a, a air compressor to to put on, you know, the paint, 
they're basically blowing cold air on you for four hours. So oh, that's nice. I, once, the, once the lights go on, I'm like, okay, ah, oh, this feels good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, healing warmth. <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel like one of those lizards, like, curling up on a rock. It's like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> that's that sounds pretty crazy now speaking of you finding out the secret there was a video that came out not too long ago from a cosplayer luna laney who actually described an experience that she had at momocon recently it was a really really bad experience and have you seen the video and how far has the cosplay does not equal consent movement come over the years in cons um i saw most of the video, I uh, unfortunately, when all that happened, I was at work and, you know, I couldn't devote an entire, you know, couple minutes to watching the video, but I didn't see the main point. I've read a lot of the articles that have been written about the situation. You know, I, I feel really bad that when cosplayers feel, you know, uncomfortable in different situations at conventions. I mean, obviously, I've been there, done that. It's never... A, a good thing to feel like, yeah, you know, you can't be yourself. Um, Zen and I actually put on a panel at conventions called Sexuality and Cosplay, where we talk about situations like that, but more so what people can do, uh, how to handle them. And it's also about acceptance in the community. Uh, the whole tagline we do is sexuality and cosplay, no matter what you are or aren't wearing. Because obviously we want... The, you know, acceptance is a big deal to all of us. We're all nerds. For the majority of us, we've grown up in the, you know, get shoved into lockers or be persecuted for what you enjoy. And I think that when it happens, it's really hurtful because you're like, you're supposed to be my people. What are you doing? And especially for for women because we see these, these, these other characters in comics and movies and video games who are scantily clad and that can be very empowering so it's very it's very disappointing when that does happen unfortunately you know i in some ways i think conventions are between a rock and a hard place depending on where they're located and what their rules are because obviously if they're what's considered a family-friendly convention they have to adhere to certain rules for their customers the people mm -hmm. buying their tickets that's that's why they're that's what they're doing. They're trying to you know sell tickets, and I think it it can be very hard on them to to lay down those laws because they obviously want people to attend. They want cosplayers to attend, but you know I I don't think it. No matter what the rules are, that everyone should be treated with respect. And you know I have had situations at conventions where you know obviously because the way I'm built, you know some people are like oh well. Hmm, I don't know if that's quite the, the rules. And I'll actually say, if this is not the rules, tell me what I can do to this costume to make it within the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, I, as long as they treat me with respect, if they're going to be sassy, they're going to get sass right back. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, right. I, 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 that's, that's just me, though. Uh, we actually, on Sunday, I went to shoot uh, my toothless hoodie in uh, the woods. And it was in a state park near Woods up here in San Francisco. And this little girl, like, I'm, I'm walking through the state park dressed as toothless. I mean, I've got my hood up. I've got my tail on. And this little girl, she goes really loudly. She's like, Mommy, why is that woman dressed as a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> I, tur I turned around and, and uh, he, he's like, Abby, don't do it. Abby, don't do it. 
And I'm like, wouldn't you be dressed as a dragon if you could? And she just, like, the local just stopped and looked at me. I'm like, come on. I mean, do you <laughs> yeah. want to be Elsa? Do you want to be Cinderella sometimes? She's like, well, yeah. I was like, I want to be a dragon. Her mother started laughing. And she's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw the video when you first got the hoodie, and you were just so excited. It was just it was just one of those moments, you know, as, as a fan, just seeing you excited for, you know, a hoodie can just bring so much excitement out of it. So why the toothless hoodie? I mean, you know, it's so awesome. Well, Canada Cosplay, she's the creator of the hoodie. Uh, she actually approached me, and well, not approached me. She had a casting call, excuse me. Um, and she was looking for people to take pictures in the hoodie. And I was like, oh, my God, please. Please, 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 please. And it's just, I mean, I love How to Train Your Dragon. It's, it's an amazing movie. It's so full of feels. And I've always, always, ever since I was a kid, like, wanted to be a dragon. I didn't, I, I've never liked movies where dragons are the villains mm-hmm. or even books. Like, there's so many fantasy books that I had stopped reading because I'm like, nope, they're killing dragons. I'm not putting up with a shit. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and, and getting to actually just run around as a dragon, uh, you know, and I, I joke around, I'm not toothless, I'm Abby the Night Fury, um, nice. it's just fun, I mean, I'm a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome, like, I remember it was kind of like, when I was a little kid, just walking around the backyard, pretending I was like a dinosaur, because they had like all these bushes and shrubbery in my backyard growing up, so I was like, put my arms like a T-Rex, just walk around in, the, in my backyard. And you even recently, exactly. yeah. And you even recently mentioned that you love dinosaurs. So what's your favorite dinosaur? If you could visit one attraction at Jurassic world, what would it be? Um, uh, my favorite dinosaur is probably you know, like most kids that grew up in the eighties. Uh, what is it? What is it? The Brachiosaur? No, wait, they the Brachiosaurus. But yeah, they changed it from Brontosaurus. They screwed with us, just like they did with uh, Pluto. Yes. And because um, obviously, I remember seeing Land Before Time mm-hmm. in the theater. I'm oh, dating yeah. myself here, and I had all the. the they came out. J.C. Penney's came out with these plushies back in the '80s of uh, Littlefoot, Sarah, Ducky, all you know, all the gang, Spike, mm-hmm. and oh, I so had remember all of this. Them. Yeah, I had all of them, and of course, Littlefoot was my favorite. So, Brachiosaurus, the Petasaurus, whatever the long neck <laughs> is, yeah. is called these days. The one that Fred Flintstone went down on the on the tail in the opening of the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now but, that uh, we know. As as, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, as far as Jurassic World. Um, I'd want to see the Velociraptors because I love intelligent animals and I just would like to watch them. So. A little bit of a danger factor there. Nice. Yeah, Very well, nice. I'm also the girl that wants to cage dive with great white, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to cosplay for just a second, you're also very savvy when it comes to social media and talk about exactly what a game changer social social media has been for the cosplay community uh yeah well i mean in in honestly social media has yeah okay you're, you're you're touching on like what i do on a daily basis so you know social media is the new word of mouth marketing and whereas you know 30 years ago or even less you would have 
ask your friend's dad, hey, who do I go for for a mechanic? You now ask it on Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the terms of cosplay, it first started out, you know, on message boards and live journal where people could connect and find other people who were like them, you know, so we didn't feel as isolated and alone. And with the advent of, you know, Facebook and uh, MySpace and all that, it just enlarged our community to a point that people could, you know, they could reach out and know, get to know people even more. And I think without it, that we wouldn't have, you know, the growth that we do of the geek community. I mean, when you think about most of the blockbuster movies in the past couple of years or the blockbuster book, almost like all of them, if I seriously look it up sometime, almost all of them are geek related. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the money-making movies in Hollywood right now are either Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, and then of course you have your, your few little indie films. So, I mean, Look at the how many views the Hunger Games tra- uh, trailer got today. It's it's mind boggling, and it's because of social media. And for better or for worse, I think it really has has affected the cosplay community most of all because you know it allowed a lot of growth. It allowed people to discover people who who they could admire. Um, in some ways, I am sort of waiting for that that you know, real estate bubble to burst with social media and cosplay because mm-hmm. it has grown so quick and so fast. But I think it's it's really awesome. Now, one thing I do love about you on social media, Abby, is that whenever somebody posts a negative thing on your wall or just says something, you know, wrong you don't lash out at them or, or argue your very response is very calm and it even may reflect on a bigger issue in their own lives so what kind of advice do you want to give to those who are cosplaying whether they're veterans of the of the game or new into the cosplay realm when it comes to people sending them negative posts and replies well you, you kind of have to look at it where this person could be coming from I try to always give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, I don't know if their cat just died or if they're living in a really shitty situation. You know, and I, I try to think about it from that perspective or I may try to see if they're right. You know, mm-hmm. do I look plus sized in this outfit? Yeah, sure. I've gained 10 pounds. I've been unemployed. You know, okay, dude, you're right. Woohoo! I, you know, I. <laughs> days it gets to me but I mean for the most part just just try to be kind try to be transparent try to be open and honest and understand that sometimes people are just speaking from a place of unhappiness and negativity in their own Mm. lives and and all you can do is is try to be the change that you want to see and and that's that's all you can do and sometimes you just have to walk away from those people and be like you know what I've tried to be polite to you, I've tried to converse with you, but, you know, you are disrespecting me, you're disrespecting other people. We're not having that here. I hope you have a wonderful day. Goodbye. (laughs) That takes a lot of patience to be able to do something like that, too. So that's good for you, because, wow. Well, fun fun fact, I, uh, before I, you know, I was actually going to school to become a teacher. So I kind of, I think I kind of learned that from, all my education classes. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, I know that you had a very good day not too long ago because you just got a new position with Ubisoft, and congrats on that. And how excited are you to be promoting Assassin's Creed? Oh, I am so very excited. It's it's funny. Uh, I actually I get up in the morning and I'm really happy to go to work. And I've really I don't think ever really experienced that in my whole entire life. Um, I have my degree in history, so working on a historically based game uh, is kind of like my my spot. And it's also a game that I super admire. I love the whole series. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I remember playing it and I, in fact, I bought all the other games that I'm playing through them now, going back and replaying them. But I, the, the Ubisoft is a great company to work for. They, they really care about what they put out there and I'm super excited for what's coming. And of course I can't say anything, but I am really excited for what they're doing. Exactly. So a little bit of background on the game, people don't know. It's, it's going to be Assassin's Creed Syndicate, of course, takes place in London, the Victorian era, the era of, of corsets and, and top hats. And, you know, uh, a story that recently came out today, actually, said that Ubisoft actually wants the public to come help playtest the actual game and give feedback as well. So where are some places people could probably, you know, go and check out and do that and give Ubisoft some, some background and feedback on their new game? Um, what they're doing now is to play test road show. So it's starting at E3. Um, and if people are interested in being a Q&A tester and attending, they have to send in, uh, it's actually, there's a link to it on my Facebook page, um, where they can send in their experience with Assassin's Creed or how much of a fan they are or their experience with games. And they can actually go to, uh, E3. You don't need a badge and register and be able to, uh, play, play the game um, and give feedback. Uh, I think they are going to have it at other events. It's not confirmed, so I don't want to say, yes, it's going to be here as well, but they will be announcing other things. But, yeah, so you're right. Syndicate is based in Victorian London. It's 1868, book focusing on Jacob and Evie Fry, who are twin siblings, and they will be, of course, fighting the Templars and other things, and you know, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but people can go to assassinscreed.com and see our gameplay trailer that is available now to get a little bit more info. But, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And hey guys, I want to congratulate you on that position. I know how excited you are and everything. So, guys, I want to congratulate you again as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. I love working in the marketing field because it's just – it's it's. It's really fun finding ways to connect with the community, and because because of social media, marketing is now so transparent. It's no longer just "Hey, buy my socks." It's oh yeah, oh yeah. Of, this is this is why you want to play the game. This is it's companies now more than ever, especially in the gaming industry, are focused on their players. They're focused on their community, and without the community, there is no game. And I think that's something that. Ubisoft has really taken to heart um, since Unity is that they want to deliver the game that the fans want to play. So once they can do that, I'm really excited for what the fans will think because, you know, it, I, can't, I can't even say anything. It's really good. <laughs> oh, you know you want to. It's right there. 
Well, let's let's turn the topic a little bit here. So, if you could spend one week in any video game realm, what would it be? Oh, that's a hard one. Because my favorite game is Halo, but I love Assassin's Creed. Dang it. Well, okay, here's a question for you uh, to help me decide. Do I get to actually be one of the characters? Yes. Okay, um... Uh, okay, I don't want to be a Cortana because I would suck after the end of Halo 4. Um, <laughs> hey, seriously? All the feels oh, yeah. in that moment. No, I was, uh, we I get like, it, yeah. You did not just do that. What the hell? Uh, um, I, I'm going to have to go with Assassin's Creed. Either that or, or Oblivion. And like, old Oblivion. Because then they just wander around and like raid things. Okay, alright. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah, very, very, very much so. So this is a question we pretty much ask uh, everybody who comes on the show, Abby. What's your superhero Mount Rushmore? Superhero Mount Mush, br- <laughs> Rushmore. Like yeah. my idol or like, if like you something had... I want to carve into a rock face? There you go, right yeah. there. <laughs> right there, second one. Okay, uh, give me an example because I'm not quite... It's the end of the day. <laughs> well, for example, we had Fabian Niciesa on last week, and we asked him his, and he said that one woman, he said out of his people that would be on his Mount Rushmore, one woman would be on there uh, because of just the marks he's had for women in comics. He also had said if he could, he would put Robin on there as well because he was the first real sidekick in, in comics as well. So that's kind of like the angle we're, go- we're going for. Okay. Um, on my Ru- Mount Rushmore would probably be... Neil Gaiman, because I love everything he's ever done, um, especially my favorite book of all time, uh, Neverwhere, which got turned into a, a trade, a comic, which is awesome. Um, he writes everything from poetry to comics to mm-hmm. stories. I just think the man's brilliant. Um, I would probably also have on there, let's see, trying to think. I would have uh, Jane Austen because I think she's one of the, one of the most influential writers of our time. Uh, she's single-handedly influenced almost every single woman and sometimes men, most of the time men if they're smart, uh, in, 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 in the universe with their ideals of romanticism. Uh, <laughs> We're paying attention, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, no, trust me, when I first started dating uh, Keith, I knew he was the one because he not only read Jane Austen for me, but he also read Memoirs of a Geisha and would actually read to me. Look at this we were, guy! Yeah! We were, yeah, we were dating long distance. I was in Florida, he was in here in California, and we would get on for a couple hours every night, and he would read to me. And uh, I was just like, yeah, okay, I think I think I could do this. Um, let's see, who else? How many people do I get? You get two more. Uh, Bruce Tim. Yeah, there it is. I, yeah. I, Batman made a made series. Every single kid who got to watch that in the '90s, I think that proved to be the foundation of the kind of the bridging of the gap between the old school comics and the new generation. So I, I give him huge amounts of kudos for that. And let's see, one more. 
need to have a lady. Another lady. Huh. I'll have to think about that. Uh, so many hard choices. You don't want to leave <laughs> anyone out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I have so many things. I'm like actually pacing around my office, looking at all the, the stuff I have, and I'm going, okay, I have, I have things. I have things I could say. I think the other person I put on there is one of my best friends, Megan Marie. Um, because of her, I pursued, you know, a career in marketing and social media. Because of her, I have become a better person. She's inspired me to, you know, be more patient, to be more kind, to be more gentle. She's inspired me and inspired me to go the distance and never lose faith of my dreams. And without her encouragement, now without her inspiration, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. That is definitely a very unique list. I can't wait for people to hear that now. Again, you mentioned E3 earlier on. So other than what you're working on with Ubisoft, what are you most excited to hear or get out of E3 this year? I am I'm really excited to see more of Uncharted uh, 4. Um, uh, also, Batman Arkham. Uh, what, Arkham Knight we're Arkham on now. Yep. <laughs> Arkham Knight. I'm like, Arkham, which one? Uh, and, of course, you know, supporting Megan at, at Crystal uh, Tomb Raider. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those, mainly those titles. It's my first E3, so I'm not sure exactly what to experience. And I'm honestly probably going to be mostly behind a computer the entire time. So I'm just like, <laughs> oh, so you're going to miss some of it then. Yeah, but I'm not going to, I'm going to get to see it through the eyes of the community, which I think is kind of a unique perspective because I'll get to, you know, everybody who's posting about it and tweeting about it and talking about it, I'll get to experience their joy. So I'm kind of okay with that. So what is, I mean, James, about you kind of things you want to see. What's the, the other than, of course, uh, you know, promoting Assassin's Creed, what's the one thing you, when you get there, you want to do the most, like you want to achieve when you get there? I, I honestly want to see my friends. Uh, you know, one of my closest friends, she was a bridesmaid in my wedding, Meg Turney is going to get to be there. And because of both of our schedules, her and I are like two shifts passing in the night. Uh, all the time. It's like, are you here? No, I'm here. Are you here? No, I'm here. Uh, we actually, she was so cool last year at Comic-Con. She was flying in for like a day and she walked all the way across the entirety of Comic-Con just to give me a hug before she got on her flight. Aww. So I'm really, yeah, I'm excited to get to be able to see her a little bit at E3 and at least get in our, in our, our hug and then, you know, resume our text relationship <laughs> <laughs> well i know that there's plenty of other people who would like to come see you as well so where can people get more information on your con appearances and everything else you've got going on on social media as if we don't know already but tell us anyway <laughs> well uh facebook.com slash abby darkstar i'm abby darkstar on every single media i'm on i'm most active on facebook pretty active on twitter and instagram and uh if you like seeing my crazy, you can go follow me on Pinterest and also Tumblr. So, but I'm not responsible for the amount of uh, supernatural spam that you get there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Now, one question I want to ask you is: I want to talk about a charity you recently got involved with too. It's a charity called Cosplay, uh, where proceeds go towards the Nepal Youth Foundation, which is a really good cause. Uh, as of the date, they've raised over $6,300. So how did you hear about them? And for those who may not know about Cosplay, uh, what can you tell them about it, and how can they get involved and help them out? Um, cosplay was 
established by Megan Marie. Um, she actually, this, I think this is the second or third year she's done it. Uh, she's very uh, active in the community as far as giving back, and that's something that's always been very close to my heart as well. Um, so every year we pick a different charity, uh, and last year was uh, reading. I think books, it was bought so many books for kids. And this year is the Nepal Youth Foundation, and what people do is cosplayers come and they donate prints or they'll donate props or they'll donate, you know, books on how to make costumes, and people can go to the cosplay store and they can purchase either these prints or these items, and all the donations and all the proceeds will go to the Nepal Youth Foundation. That's amazing. It, so, it sounds like a great cause. We want everybody to go on Abby's Facebook page and Twitter and all of her social media to get more information on that. Her appearances, everything you could see her at E3. And of course, don't forget Assassin's Creed Syndicate. She's going to be working on that. Follow her for all the information on that as well. Abby Darkstar, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, guys. This was a lot of fun. And thanks for putting up with my uh, my babbling. <laughs> oh, anytime. You know... When we have guests here on Down Nerdy, I love, like I said at the beginning of the show, the opening of it and just the insight that we get from it. Abby was just fantastic. It was phenomenal. And a lot of, we had a lot of laughs off the air, too, James. Oh, yeah. Great. I mean, we found out that, you know, she's as big an Archer fan as you are. She's yes. as big of a Mist fan, the PC game, as I am. I'm like, wow, <laughs> to find another Mist fan. I mean, finding an Archer fan, not that difficult because a lot of people love Archer. But to find another Mist fan... Something yeah. that I can fanboy out with when it comes to Mist from all those years ago. That was cool for me. Yeah, it was cool. You know, we talked about her, you know, her new job at uh, Ubisoft and working on Assassin's Creed Syndicate and how awesome it is. I'm actually really excited for it because, like I told her, I, you know, it's it takes place in my favorite era, which is like the mm. 1800s, because you had the whole Victorian age and everything else. And you know, I'm, I can't wait to get my hand on it and, and play it and. You know, I wish we were going to be at E3 this year because I would love to get a first-hand look at it. Uh, but, well, you know, of course, we'll be covering E3, though. You never know, though, because you said they're going to be doing that tour. They're actually going to be doing a gameplay tour. You never know. It could come here to our home base in the Virginia Beach area. You just never know. And if it does, I can promise you this. We're going to be all over that. We'll have full coverage of that as well, for sure. Even if it's, like, in Richmond, I will totally drive to Richmond oh, just yeah. for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. If it comes close enough. Within a reasonable driving distance. Yes, yeah. We will be there covering it for you. You know, we also talked about, you know, Cosplay, of course, which is a great charity she does, you know, and, and works with. And, you know, it's, it's a great cause, so go support that, buy some prints and everything else. And, you know, it, it's, it's just fun. Like, like you know, I don't want to dive into our discussion off mic, but, you know, it, it, it was a lot of laughs were, were had, let's say, off mic, and it was really, really great. It's just, it's just good to know that, and, and I want people to realize something, that you'll, you see these people on social media, you see them at cons, and sometimes, I mean, when somebody's got over 400,000 likes on Facebook and about, about 40,000 Twitter followers, you'll be like, wow, this person's really, they're so much larger than life, they're such a huge quote-unquote celebrity, I guess you could call them. But, no, they're just like us, guys. I mean, yeah. they and that's how they want to be. They want to be treated just like us. They're just like their fans, just like you and I are. So it's you can have a conversation with them, and, and they really appreciate it when you do that. Well, I just that, but like when you meet some people at cons, um, you know, or even you see them on television, whatever, they carry a persona around them, which sometimes can be, you know, people can think it'd be fake and a ruse and everything else. But when you sit down with people like Abby, it's like, no, she's like that. You know, she's awesome. Yeah. Like that 24-7. That's, you know? that's her. 
basically yeah. the 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 woman that you see on the YouTube videos and at cons. That's her. That's our. That's from our personal experience. We can tell you that. So if you ever get a chance to go meet Abby at a con, or even if you're going to be at, at E3, just go tell her hey, and she'll definitely just sit down and chat your ear off before she has to go back to typing and doing her social media duties. Exactly. And one thing with with her is she gave me gave me an idea a little bit because you know we were talking about the whole body paint thing when you know she was doing Poison Ivy and She Hulk, and mm-hmm. my thing is, what if? Imagine if you and I and Cody did like a men of down and nerdy calendar and we had to do body paint. Oh, what wow. Co- that, that would be disturbing. It would be very, that would be very disturbing. That would be, that'd be, the, that'd be the lowest selling calendar ever. Yes, it would. But yeah, I know your wife would be hanging it up, but she'd probably like tape over Cody and I put like, you know, like cut out Cody and I's bodies and just like make sure you're the only one there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but that wow. reminds me, like, what, if you had to do body paint, like, what color would you do? Oh, gosh. I've always been a blue fan. Uh-huh. It's funny that Abby talked about how she never gets to be anything but green. I've always been a blue fan, but my wife really likes me in white. So maybe I would just go white, man. I would just go. I would just go all white. I'd, but I'd you're Cas- already white. <laughs> I'd go all Casper, man. But you, so you'd go full on albino. I'd go full on Casper, dude. That's, <laughs> I, I'd be whiter than Voldemort. I can tell you, you that right you, now. You, you go full on Warboy and Morton Joe from fucking Mad Max. There you go. <laughs> Tonto's got nothing on me. Oh Jesus. Uh, well, me. I, I mean, blue is always nice, but. I, you know, green, I like. I'm just starting getting the green, so green would be awesome. But, you know, why not, like, purple? I i don't know why, but purple is just... You know what? There there are a few men that could pull that off, but yeah. I, can, I can understand. You were wearing an orange shirt the other day, though, so orange, maybe. 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 I mean, that's a possibility. People love orange. Yep, and speaking of the probability of the show ending, that's at 100%. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's podcast of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And one thing, of course, our great and amazing and always talented and funny guest, Abby Darkstar, for coming on. She was so great and awesome. Again, Assassin's Creed Syndicate's coming out soon, so be sure. If you're going to E3, check it out, you know, and give us your take on it. If you're, say, if you're saying, hey, I'm at E3, I'm going to go check out Assassin's Creed Syndicate, post it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. Tell us what your thoughts are and everything else. And also, we're on also various forms of social media. I'm on Twitter at MerkleOneArm. Also, we're on Twitter at downnerdy757, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace with them, as a matter of fact. And you can email us your fan question to downandnerdypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, we've got a number that you can actually call and leave your fan questions. You can hear your question answered on the air. You'll actually get on the show. You just got to dial up 757-512-8229. And that's how you can get your fan questions in. Of course, we're always at facebook.com slash downandnerdy as well. Don't forget to go visit Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach if you're in the 757 or even visiting. No excuse. You're on vacation. Go see Bob. Exactly. And a quick thing I want to talk about with the number, when you call it, and if you do get a voicemail, it's going to be James's beautiful, sexy voice saying, you know, you've reached down nerdy. It's okay. It's supposed to do that. So just leave your question at the tone. That's what's supposed to happen. So don't worry about that. Yes. But as always, I leave you with this, nerds. Pray safe comic book reading. Always beg and board your comics. We'll see you next week with an all-new Down Nerdy podcast. Jazz hands.